Welcome to Season 1, Episode 1 of Beyond the Zero. I'm your host, Ben. Joining me today is writer and podcaster, Tommy Waite. Tommy Wade is the author of the novel, Any Day You Can Die, and he's a host of the Square Record podcast. Thanks for joining us, Tommy. Thanks, mate. Pleasure to be here. So, your novel, Any Day You Can Die, can you tell us a bit about that and how you came to write it and give us a bit of a plot line? Yeah, sure. So, Any Day You Can Die is about a um, kind of lost uh, dude from Melbourne who uh, he's recently broken up with his uh, long-term partner and he's looking for a kind of like a control alt delete uh, change in his life. And so he finds out about the city of uh, Medellin, Colombia, which um, was becoming a, a particularly uh, popular destination for digital nomads um, when the book is set uh, between uh, basically 2018 to, to uh, 2019. And um, so he goes over there and uh, moves into a share house with some other um, <laughs> kind of like lost man children and um, forms kind of like uneasy alliances and, uh, you know, uh, some, some kind of like fast friends. There's some, there's some romances with some local women, but essentially he's looking for a purpose in, in life. And initially he thinks it's going to be something more artistic, uh, but due to uh, a series of either unfortunate or fortunate series of uh, events, he uh, gets involved in uh, trafficking drugs over the dark web uh, with some of those aforementioned uh, frenemies. And then, um, yeah, that that's basically uh, the, the kind of main arc of Any Day You Can Die. It is a cracking read. I've started it about halfway through. It The propulsion of the book is just insane. Like it really does get you into this life in, you know, in Colombia. And it really does flow beautifully. Um, the writing is very, very Aussie, I have to say, and which I love. I think it's really refreshing and really, it's really, um, it feels very current. Great. Yeah, that was definitely my intention. Um, probably inspired most directly, not by an Australian writer, ironically, but Irvin Welsh, author of Trainspotting. And uh, I just love how... Uh, because uh, you know, like he'll he'll actually write in the dialect, which I don't really go that far with my book. But what I find it just kind of like adds a layer of authenticity to the voice of uh, the narrator and the the main character. If you um, you know drill down on someone's kind of like unique uh, accent or, or kind of colloquial colloquialisms and um you know even if and i and i was like i don't really give a fuck if someone doesn't understand some um australian slang because i know i've read welsh's books and i don't know specific scottish brands or phrases but it's added to the um the authenticity so that was definitely a conscious uh choice from me there and i assume that you've been to Colombia based on this book like it sounds like you've spent a bit of time there yeah, so it's it's um, I lived in Colombia from 2017, and to be honest, if Corona hadn't hit, there's a good chance I would still be there. Um, I was very happy over there, and um, yeah, it was definitely my own personal. I guess it it wouldn't necessarily be my experiences that informed the novel. Um, it was 
because <laughs> I, I, I one thing that was really interesting when I was living there, I heard about this new story of a guy who was from Perth. I'm hope Perth is my hometown. Who was like on the run um, somewhere on the outskirts of Medellin. I think uh, the the police were after him, and I assumed um, the narcos were after him as well. And so it's just a strange thing when you kind of like hear about someone like your age same sex from the same place you can't help but imagine like oh i wonder what could have potentially led me to be in that position and so that was kind of like the very loose inspiration um for the story i was like my life was um was very calm and and pleasant and uh i really enjoyed living in colombia but um yeah you definitely heard stories about gringos getting into all sorts of trouble um and so yeah i i essentially kind of um just the the main character of any day you can die tony fletcher is is kind of like an imagination of like what worst the the absolute worst parts of myself would have to be amplified to 11 um and and what what would lead me to kind of like being in a, a dire situation like like that guy and the news was brilliant it is a cracking read i recommend it to everybody out there i think it is just a really brilliant like fresh book i really love it um, kind of reminded me a little bit, I don't know if you've read it, of uh, Michelle Welbeck's platform. No, I actually haven't read any um, Welbeck. Uh, I was talking with a, another writer friend of mine, GC Mackay. I think he was talking about serotonin. And, uh, you know, I've, just, I've been hearing his name repeatedly over the last like couple of months. So I need to kind of get stuck into his stuff because a lot of people have... Uh, yeah, said that there's there's kind of similarities with what I'm going for. So yeah, and uh, I, it just seems like a dirty old French bastard. So I'm I'm into I'm into all that type of stuff. So uh, yeah, no, I haven't read that uh, any of his work, but I can't wait. To- all right, let's get on to uh, some of the things you read and what you're into as a reader. What sort of reader are you? Like, do you get into physical books? Are you a Kindle person? Yeah, so I guess um I'm not really fussy. You know, I I feel like. I convinced myself for the longest time that like, you know, the, the message is the most important thing of a, of, of a piece of work. And like, I was never fussy about like listening to MP3s. I was never like a vinyl head or anything like that, but I'm kind of realizing I do like physical books a lot. There's just something, um, I don't know. It's just a more pleasurable experience. And I think that it like, it makes it easier to differentiate um, separate books in your head. Whereas if you just have the same kind of medium of my like iPhone and the Kindle app on my phone, then, you know, you could be reading drastically different books, but then um, they have, they're coming through the same medium and it kind of like aggregates everything and it anonymizes everything in a weird way. So I'm actually kind of appreciating more uh, physical books more and more. Um, these days and in terms of like my um, myself as a reader I was someone who was like a voracious really quick reader um, when I was younger I'd say up till I was like 23 or 24 and then yeah I just kind of got lost in the digital world for many years like um, obsessed with social media which I kind of explore in the not necessarily posting but like lurking reading but on social media, just like kind of wallowing in junk a little bit, which I like to think I've kind of like turned lemons into lemonade with a, in, in some respect to that um, obsession with, with the themes of any day you can die. But even still, uh, you know, just watching YouTube and listening to podcasts for years, I kind of like 
build that as like research in my head and um, moved away from books in a big way. But, um, you know, it's the process of, of writing Any Day You Can Die has really brought me back to books in, in such a big way. So now, now I'm, um, I'm back into the swing of things full throttle. And yeah, I just, I really actually really like long books. I've kind of um, realized that about myself. I'm reading a book by Jonathan Franz and at the moment called Freedom. I think it's the one he wrote after the corrections. He's like big hit or whatever. And it's like, fuck, it's huge. It's like 560 pages or something. And so, um, yeah, but I'm really enjoying it. It's like a dense kind of sprawling uh, epic about modern American life. And so, uh, yeah, that, I guess that's the kind of reader I am. I like getting um, lost in kind of like something really uh, deep and, and dense. Sounds good. So who, who would you say are your literary idols? Yeah. So uh, the idols I'd probably say would be like, I don't think I've ever read a better writer than Nabokov. Um, Lolita was, is, is probably like in terms of like technical proficiency, I think he's kind of like number one for me. I'm kind of like just blown away by um, how he can kind of construct a story. And um, so but but really, I think in terms of like direct inspirations, it's probably like Irvin Welsh, Brett Easton Ellis, um, and then kind of like underneath them, there'd be like uh, Donna Tartt, Jeffrey Eugenides. Um, I also like Hunter S. Thompson and Kerouac to a lesser degree. But um, yeah, I'd say Ellis and um, Welsh are probably the ones where even if their book that they write a book and it's not as strong as their strongest work. I still really enjoy it because I kind of appreciate the aesthetics uh, and the way they kind of um, set up stories. So they would be kind of my main two if I really had to drill down. Can you give a nice shout out to um, to Ellis in your book yeah. as well? So which is good. You got a little American Psycho reference running through, which is yes. very nice. Yeah, yeah. I feel that was almost compulsory. Where um, yeah, it's like a the story is of someone who's trying to uh, write a book in many ways. That's kind of like the other, there's, it's a drug story, but it's also kind of like an art story in, in some respects, any day you can die. And so I feel like um, just the way we're bombarded with media right now is that at least I feel like every piece of work is going to be a pastiche, um, whether you uh, acknowledge that or not either subconsciously i think everything is a pastiche so i felt obliged almost to include uh, a bit of um patrick bateman homage in any day you can die let's go to, to your uh what's in your to be read pile at the moment what's on your list yeah. of things to be read i actually pulled it out right here so um well so like i said i'm i'm uh, i'm basically like two-thirds of the way through uh freedom Franzen's, um freedom which i'm enjoying um I've got The Bonfire of the Vanities by Tom Wolfe. It's another big, dense one. Um, Steinbeck, uh, The Winter of Our Discontent. Um, Stoner by John Williams. I've heard lots of good things about this one. Seems it is a, depress it is a, depressing yeah, as fuck. Quite, quite depressing, I think. Um, <laughs> it's funny with him because he, you know, obviously he's been completely revived now. But, um, yeah, it is a good read. It's a very good yeah. Yeah, no, I kind of, that's another one where I've seen some other writers I like have kind of referenced this 
again and again, kind of like I was saying before about Welbeck. And so I feel like, oh, to understand those other writers, I need to read this. So looking forward to that one. Um, yeah, this is one I just picked up purely on the cover because it looked interesting. It's called Hope by Glenn Duncan. And um, yeah, I, I think I found this at, I found all of these actually at a, uh, like a Salvo's charity shop. And um, yeah, Glenn Duncan, I think he was kind of like almost a uh, Brett Easton Ellis-esque author, but from the UK in the 90s. Um, and this book was kind of like um, really big at the time. So it starts off with, um, it starts off with a guy jerking off in a, in a bath tub with a, a fly on the head of his dicks <laughs> so i was like all right you've got me you've got me by the uh the head of the penis i'm, I'm gonna read this one so yeah so he's it, anyway i think he's written a bunch of books but this is maybe like his most praised or the when he, the biggest and and this is another one where someone's i've made a mind told me about this years ago vernon god little i think he's an australian guy um it, do you have thoughts on this one I, I like that book quite a lot. Um, he wrote one after that. I've got it on my shelf. I've forgotten the name of it, but it's about this guy who goes on a, um, a back and all and just tries to get as drunk and eat all this stuff um, and travel around Europe and convert an airport into like some restaurant where people eat really rare, uh, rare foods like eagles and things like that, um, which I think is oh, fantastic. It's really, really good. I'll, uh, oh, so that's the next one after after. Vernon I God think Little? it's actually the third one. So I think okay. uh, Vernon might have been the first one, but he's a very interesting character, DBC Pierre. So, yeah, yeah. He's kind of seems like he was basically just, yeah, he only started writing in his like 50s or something, didn't he? Like he was just uh, just a drunk for most of his life or, yeah. I think that's what I've heard, yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I like, you know, just he seems, um, he seems like the type of writer almost like similar to Chuck Polinick where he'll create like a premise that's interesting and then once you kind of have that really interesting premise and often it's pretty like detached from reality then you can just kind of like wander around within that premise so um yeah I'm I'm looking forward to kind of checking him out because I know that one won an award or or something but yeah just so many books so little time but that's that's what I'm it's is next for me that is brilliant. Do you collect books? Do you keep them around or do you send them back to the op shop when you're finished? Yeah, no, I, I've not been a collector at all because, um, yeah, for basically the last, uh, when I was in my early 20s, I moved to New York and I was in New York for seven years. And then, um, and then I went down to Columbia for three years and then we came back to um, Perth. So like I've been pretty, uh, and I've, tra I was traveled pretty aggressively when I was based in each place as well. So I've never, and that kind of factored into me, like wanting to be more digital with my intake. Cause I was like, it's just weighs you down, man. Uh, so no, I've never had the luxury of being able to collect books up until now, really. Um, because I've felt I, I my apartment in New York was just absolutely tiny. So, um, yeah, I, I, so to answer your question, no, but I'm going to start doing that now because now I've finally got like somewhat of a home base here in Perth. So I'll capitalize on that. We're going to take a quick break on Beyond the Zero and come back with Tommy's top 10. This episode of Beyond the Zero is brought to you by Dick's Pizza. You haven't eaten pizza till you've eaten Dick's. 
We're back on Beyond the Zero with Tommy Waite, author of Any Day You Can Die. Now we're going to hear Tommy's top 10. So yeah, I, you know, I want to preface this by saying that this is what I put together a couple of days ago. Uh, you know, it's always subject to change. And I feel like that's actually kind of an issue with um, the modern like booktuber or I think it really starts with Amazon, the whole aggre- aggregation of like books and because I can read a book and then like you know not really enjoy it but get like one like nugget out of it that stays with me and so uh, I, I feel like everything has kind of become this kind of like commodity so in in a sense uh, and it's, it's weird for me because I write books and I really want my readers to like re- rate and review afterwards because conceivably that helps me but I guess fundamentally I'm kind of against it because it's it's like uh can't score art man <laughs> all that all that hippie shit but i think it's kind of true so anyway take this with a grain of salt these are like 10 books that i really enjoy uh number one um really this is this this is pretty deserving of number one spot for me because it's kind of influ- as soon as i read it it's changed pretty much everything number one would be filth by Irvin welsh um obviously train spotting gets a lot of love from Irvin welsh which i really enjoyed but filth um just the character of bruce robertson um is just so unbelievably despicable in many ways he kind of makes like patrick Bateman in american psycho is kind of like uh he's potentially imagining some stuff and um but then kind of like the way filth concludes you know you know for a fact that bruce uh, robertson is an absolutely horrible bastard uh, across pretty much every metric and so, and yeah, what I really like about filth is that um, it's also kind of like this weird, it's kind of like a Russian literature in a sense where it's, it's got this weird like fairy tale aspect to it. It's like this nightmarish fairy tale in terms of like Bruce Robertson's origin story as an as a anti-hero and like why he became such a filthy bastard. So read the book. The movie's okay, but it's got nothing on the on the book. So that that would be... Number two here is uh, Big Sir by Jack Kerouac. And this is another one where it's like, to be honest, I can't even remember too many of the specifics about it, but I just remember really enjoying it being a fun read. And um, what you kindly mentioned before about any day you can die in terms of like having propulsion and energy. Um, I feel like I got a lot of that from Kerouac where in many t- parts of his books, it f- seems completely frivolous and um kind of ridiculous but but there's just kind of like a good energy and um yeah it's it's just fun and and i also like the way Kerouac uh plays around with his own identity and his own kind of like history in his books and i, I believe in big sir he kind of like is this alcoholic famous writer which is kind of like talking about his own life in a more direct way so i think i kind of appreciated that but yeah, it's it's also just like kind of like the um the way he described California and being hidden away in this hole and and kind of like uh yeah the, the whether deciding to come out and like take on the world or whether you're better off just in a little hippie commune and and chilling out. So that that's a really fun one. I read that in my early twenties. Influenced a lot of uh, my thinking. Um, number three, uh. Here is The Marriage Plot by Jeffrey Eugenides. Um, again, this is one where like Middlesex gets all the love. I really enjoyed Middlesex by him as well. That's kind of like his epic. But 
the marriage plot is really good too. I guess it's kind of like a more conventional love triangle story. And um, yeah, he's just got a, I don't know. I've, I've actually picked up a lot of similarities with him and Franzen um, reading freedom. I realized just, just the way he kind of like describes modern, the modern American perspective, having spent time in New York, kind of get an idea. It's not until you, not until you live in America that you realize how fucked up Americans are. And um you know, he kind of like talks about, I guess, kind of like more upper middle class Americans and just kind of that how neurotic they are. And um, yeah, I just really enjoyed that story. It reminded me kind of like of uh, like a Noah Baumbach movie, like The Squid and the Whale or something like that, kind of like intellectual, um, but, but very uh, entertaining at the same time. Um, number four here is The Dice Man by Luke Reinhardt. This is a big one for me. I only read that this is probably like the most recent of all the books that have blown my mind where I was just on holiday in this um, small city called Santa Marta in Colombia. And um, it's, I couldn't find a book in English to read on the beach. And I just randomly stumbled upon this guy selling books on the street. They were all Colombian textbooks for kids. And there was this one called the Dice Man. I was like in English and I was like, well, I'm buying this. This is my only choice. And then when I got back, I realized I'd struck gold. It's like this cult book from the 70s. And you can see how um, uh, Brett Easton Ellis for American Psycho, Chuck Polinick for Fight Club drew a lot of inspiration from this, where it's a story of a psychiatrist who is completely at a uh, dead end with his life and career. And so he starts on a whim to start rolling the dice to uh, to determine what he should do next. and um, yeah, it's like for me, kind of like the epitome of transgressive fiction. It goes in completely numerous directions. And uh, yeah, I feel like um, I, I started fucking around with Dice Life, as he calls it, for six months. And it's so much fun. It's dangerous. You start doing stupid shit, but um, it really kind of broadens your horizons. So it broadened my horizons like with my life in terms of like, yeah, I can, I'm, I'm holding back. I'm like just staying within my lane and I'm just doing the predictable shit because it's what's comfortable uh, as opposed to like pushing myself and, and trying out new stuff. And yeah, that, I think that kind of like bled over to my, the way I saw writing as well and, and directions in which I can kind of tell stories it doesn't have to be conventional if you don't want it to be. It is such a good book. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. You know, I'm it's it's one of those things where you you read about how it's like had waves. I think when it came out, it was slightly popular. And then I believe in the 90s in the UK, a bunch of uni students really got into it and they were playing Dice Life and it had like another surge in popularity. So I think that was like 20 something years ago. I reckon it's due for another um because uh, it's just it's fucking timeless and it's it's hilarious and uh i know he wrote a sequel to it which you know if you take uh which i want to read because i like the first one so much by all accounts it's not as good but um yeah i'm a i'm a big proponent of that book and uh, it's definitely one that i would read again as well where it's just so fun and i and it's pretty dense i probably missed a bunch of shit so um all right so that was number four number five would be the secret history by Donna Tart. Um, she's, yeah, she went to the same college as Brett Easton Ellis. And um, uh, yeah, th that's one where 
I wonder if I'd read it at a different phase in my life, whether it would be so important. Like when I read it, I was like in my early twenties, I was, you know, into kind of like, I guess, kind of like pseudo Gothic type of music, Echo and the Bunnymen, Pixies, um, that, that kind of like dark brooding uh, romantic shit that appeals to you when you're young and beautiful, your early twenties. And so I was, um, yeah. The, and, and the story is, um, yeah, just, it's kind of fucked up in a sense. It's kind of like, it's really just exploring the dangers of being too intimate with like a secret society and kind of like you, uh, when you're younger, you feel like you can take on the world with your closest friends. And then, um, you know, so over time, I think this is like, it, it's kind of like, it, it illustrates kind of yeah, the dangers of kind of relying on, on each other and kind of like spurning the world a little bit. So again, pretty dark and depressing and um, it's got kind of like lots of cool Gothic imagery. So that's a really good one. Um, uh, number six, American Psycho. Yeah, feel like everyone's, <laughs> it's kind of like a hack for someone like me to kind of talk about American Psycho, but I feel like, um, you know, I was talking to a, a girl uh, or a lady, um, another writer on my podcast a few weeks ago, and she references Patrick Bateman in her book. And we were kind of just marveling at the fact that um, there's something about like Patrick Bateman's perspective or his kind of like, his character that's just so ubiquitous and um, weirdly relatable. I think it's got something to do with like the whole concept of modernity and like you get everything you want. You know, there's that Louis CK uh, bit he did on Conan once where he's like, everything's, everything's, um, uh, everything's great, but everyone's, I can't remember, but he's basically like, everything's, awesome but we're all fucking miserable about it like you can make a call you can watch a fucking uh tv show on a plane with wi-fi that's in the air and if the wi-fi breaks you're like oh fuck this bullshit so i think that we all kind of like hate ourselves a little bit for for um just being so impatient and and not enjoying shit and i feel like we all kind of want to lash out and so that that's the fantasy of Patrick Bateman. It's kind of like the somewhat the the epitome of the privileged guy who has everything, but he's still completely bitter and angry, and he doesn't fit in. So, um, yeah, at least for me, that's that's the thing where it's like I've it's been a while since I read American Psycho, but his voice and his Patrick Bateman's perspective seems to kind of like follow me around in my life which I think is uh, a sign of a really powerful book. Um, I like the fact that in Australia, it's still, it's still sold like wrapped in cellophane. Um, that's amazing. As a, as a writer, how I can't think of a better marketing strategy. That's basically for, for its target audience. It's basically saying, buy me like every fresh crop of like 17, 18 year olds who are like, Oh, I'm interested in fucked up fiction that they're, they're like, getting pushed towards that's for me, that's kind of like a big sign saying buy me. So um, good old Brett Easton Ellis. Although I think he's, he's on the verge of getting canceled, whatever that means anymore. So um, uh, another Ellis one for number seven. Um, yeah. The rules of attraction, I guess, probably because um, I always liked 
I always liked a good college story, kind of like the secret history. Um, and yeah, I just think that the, um, the storytelling device and the rules of attraction in terms of the, the three different perspectives was really clever and extremely well executed. Um, that's one also where I think the, the, the film adaptation is actually pretty good. And in a weird way, like when I watched the movie, it made me think more fondly of the book and like vice versa. So it's rare that you get that where like usually you watch the movie and it kind of undermines the book. But that's one where I think that like um, really good casting with James Van Der Beek as Sean Bateman. And um, yeah, just kind of like seeing, and, and it's also maybe piggybacking on kind of like my love of American Psycho and just kind of like learning a bit more about the Bateman family and Patrick appears, I believe at the end at some like dinner scene, maybe Sean's in American Psycho, I don't recall, but um, so that's a really good one. Um, next, Slaughterhouse-Five, Vonnegut. Um, and this one really is, is, I I like this because I listen to Ethan Hawke narrate the audiobook and he did an amazing job. And um yeah, for me this was kind of like a weird I think this was like one of the um that that experience of finding the audiobook of uh Slaughterhouse 5 Ethan Hawke's great narration that was uh one of the catalyst for me to get back into books in a big way because it was kind of like I think I was stoned lying on my couch in Brooklyn and like I, I felt like I was getting read a nice story uh just like you would in fucking kindergarten or daycare or something by the teacher I was like oh this is so pleasant just to have like um an absolute master of words unfold a story and it's kind of like a harrowing story but told in kind of like a weirdly playful and um ironic way which i guess is vonnegut's trademark and so yeah that one for me is kind of like again it it's obvious shit but it's like thinking about how things sound read aloud and um that's that you know a big part the way i did my book is that i worked with an editor and i i got it um as, as far along as i possibly could with with the manuscript and then i then i recorded my uh, my audiobook version of Any Day You Can Die, which is coming out soon, um, before I did the final proofread, because I wanted to make sure that it like I had that kind of energy and that flow. And so I feel like, um, yeah, Slaughterhouse Five is a really good story uh, book if you want to get an education on how to make things sound good read aloud. Um, last two, I mentioned it. Uh, before number nine lolita uh yeah th i when i was living in sydney actually um before i moved to new york and uh, we uh, we started a um book club and um the first book we picked was lolita and uh yeah so a bunch of strangers came to our book club and they were like oh yeah this is a pretty bold um this is a pretty bold choice uh, considering the subject matter to have your first book. And that's where I kind of realized where I was like maybe defective in terms of like, I never really understood the concept of like an anti-hero or kind of like a, I, I basically, uh, it's probably just like the sign of someone who's like a cynic in that I feel like everyone is kind of corrupted 
And there's no such thing as a pure person. There's no such thing as an evil person. It's always in between. And so like the, the, I kind of had a non-judgmental attitude towards Humbert Humbert. And then I kind of realized that like all these other people in the book club aren't like that. They, they have like stronger visceral emotions to protagonists. And, um, and so in a weird way, I think that kind of like that book, it, it obviously um, the kind of like gymnastics of the prose and the, his ability to kind of like manipulate the reader is pretty profound. But then I think that like just hearing other people talk about Lolita gave me some kind of like ideas about transgressive stories that I can write in terms of like, you know, creating morally ambiguous characters and then putting them into weird situations and kind of like knowing that that's going to get a a certain type of reaction is kind of like thrilling to me. And it's kind of bizarre how that that doesn't happen in in terms of like all if every book is, you know, millions of books that come out each year, how most of them are pretty black and white in terms of like goody and baddie. And um, yeah, so I, I just kind of realized that I love the, the gray zone and um, Lolita and specifically people's reactions to Lolita um, in contrast to my own um, got me thinking about, yeah, what the different directions you can take things with uh, corrupted um, protagonists, narrators. Um, yeah. And 10, again, this is kind of like an obvious choice, but fear and loathing in Las Vegas, Hunter S Thompson. Um, yeah, this is one where it's just like amazing energy, incredible fun, incredibly fun. I've read a bunch of other of Hunter S Thompson stuff. And I feel like a lot of his other stuff is kind of like more just journalistic. And, uh, this one, I think it's more kind of like an, an epic um it's kind of like a you know someone who's kind of like going into the belly of the beast and um trying to slay a dragon and so yeah that that probably appeals to the kind of like masculine um aggressive side of of someone's of of myself so yeah i i think that this is just kind of like yeah it's it's uh it kind of like there's all the obvious connotations of like when you're younger, you want to get loaded on drugs and, and um, do fucked up shit. But then I don't know. I think there's kind of like, there's something more intelligent in this story as well. It's obviously commenting on society at large, but it's also kind of showing that you don't have to, um, you don't have to kind of see things at face value. You can, you can manipulate things how you choose and in, in respect to storytelling and then just also the way you live your life. So that's one where it was kind of like a seminal classic for me. The movie's good, but I think the, the book's better in this instance. So yeah, that's my 10. Amazing. I, when I was reading your book, I think that uh, as an alternative title, I was thinking like fear and loathing in Colombia. Like I think that could almost <laughs> be your title. Yeah. Yeah, totally. That's, that's kind of like when I've been reaching out to people to describe, I think there's definitely a strong fear and loathing element in there. And yeah, I wear that stuff, you know, I'm uh, proudly where I think that like, it's uh, yeah. Especially if you pick a, if you, if you decide upon a narrator who's like a wannabe novelist, then 
you kind of should show which books that they love through the way that they write. And so that, that was one where I was like, oh, he's in his own head having like a fear and loathing type of uh, journey there as well. So glad you're, glad you're enjoying it so far. It so far. Amazing. Well, before we let you go, um, are you writing anything at the moment? Yeah, so I'm working on the, um, the follow-up to Any Day You Can Die uh, where, yeah, I'm, I guess I don't want to reveal too many of the specifics because you, uh, the, I don't want to spoil the first one considering you're halfway through, but essentially um, essentially, the, the first book ends um, just as kind of like COVID is kicking off. And so actually, yeah, someone, someone on Goodreads mentioned that the other day. She was like, this is really interesting. This is the first book where I've felt like Corona uh, mentioned just in passing. So the, and, and so the second book is kind of exploring what does COVID, um, how does COVID change things for the characters in the story, uh, the remaining characters, I guess. So, yeah, that's what I'm working on at the moment. And, um, yeah, just, uh, just it, and it's kind of fun because it's like, in many ways, it's easier because you don't have to kind of like, it's not like a new project where you're, creating a completely new different world um but in a sense it's more difficult because you don't want to retread old ground and um yeah got to try and like freshen up the same characters and and uh in in the same breath so i'm enjoying that challenge right knowing it so far tommy's book any day you can die is available on kindle or paperback the audiobook will be out soon Tommy's podcast is Tommy Wade Square Record. It's on Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. His website is tommywade.com. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Zero, Tommy. Appreciate it, buddy. Thanks for your time. This is fun. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Zero. You can find us on Twitter at Beyond Zero Pod, and you can email us at beyondthezero at gmail.com. We'll see you for your next episode in a couple of weeks. See you then. Bye.